Welcome into the fifth episode of Expand On That, Boston 25's weekly sports podcast. We got a big one this week. We got Brian Robb of the Boston Sports Journal. Um, we joke around a lot that they're all historic episodes with whoever's on them. This is a big one, Brian, because it's our first phone one, so hopefully everything's working well. But how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm honored to make it into the, the first five here, so... Happy yeah. to be aboard. Yeah, this will be historic down the road when we're like, remember those first five episodes and you were that fifth episode. Just always right. remember that. You were a part of history here. But uh, obviously, speaking of history, we have a lot to talk about with the Celtics here. Uh, you're kind of, I guess, one of the masters in Boston of the Celtics, just to toot your own horn a little bit. I don't. I know you won't do it, but I'll do it for you. But uh, you've covered the Celtics for a long time at this point, and we just wrapped up. I'd say one of the crazier seasons I've seen since I've been following sports and everything like that. But um, from your perspective, was this one of like the crazier runs you've seen happen in your time covering the sport? Oh, no question. I mean, you just think about the amount of stuff that happened to this team this year from, you know, going all the way back to August with the, the Kyrie trade in one of the deadest parts of the NBA offseason usually. And then you have the Hayward injury, the winning streak, uh, the the countless other injuries that popped up over the course of the year that they kind of had to uh, overcome. And then the big ones at the end with, you know, Irving, Smart, and Tice, and still this team just found a way to get it done. And, you know, honestly, probably should be playing in the NBA Finals against the Golden State Warriors if um, if they had the shooting gods on their side a little bit more in that Game 7. But it's, uh, yeah, there's no question, you know, from covering the team for almost 10 years now, like this is, you know, that 2010 run was probably number one in terms of most memorable, but um, this is probably a close second. And, I mean, one of the crazier things to me, I'd say, was just all this young talent you saw just kind of showcased throughout this postseason. I mean, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum just getting big minutes. And Tatum, to me, I guess, was the biggest star, I'd say. I mean, he was coming up just huge in some big spots. He's dunking on LeBron in a Game 7. Um, if you had to pinpoint one person as, I guess, like your hero, in quotes there, um, or like the star over the last month or two in this postseason run, who, who sticks out to you? Yeah, I'd have to go with Tatum on that front. There's obviously plenty of, you know, uh, candidates there with Jalen Brown's emergence in year two. Terry Rozier obviously took on a a far bigger role once Irving went down and kind of ran with that and, um, you know, won a couple games for them with his shooting. But Tatum, particularly in the, the last two rounds, was the guy I felt like that, you know, when the game was on the line a lot, you know, was able to find a way to get his own shot. He, you know, was always efficient. He was one guy who was kept showing up on the road. His road numbers were better than the home numbers in the postseason. And then you saw in Game 7 just going, you know, not obviously toe-to-toe with LeBron, but he was the one guy that could score and then and capped it off with that uh, ridiculous dunk. So, you know, that would have been... I mean, he was one point short of having the most points for a rookie in a postseason ever, and that's a pretty incredible feat given the the amount of talent that's been in that spot over the years. Yeah, 
And then, I mean, a big topic, like I said, throughout the entire postseason at this point was just kind of like the experience that these young guys were getting. And no one was really expecting a deep run from this team, especially when Kyrie went down, maybe even when Gordon Hayward went down at the beginning of the year. And you're seeing them, like you said, like minutes away, really, from an NBA Finals matchup with the Warriors. But, I, I mean, I think it's the right mindset to have, like, oh, like you got that experience over really expecting something. But you had fans upset at the fact that they're not making the NBA Finals with that lineup. Um, I mean, you were there for the exit interviews and everything like that. But was it kind of a positive mentality from the team that you were kind of sensing? Or was it kind of still that sad, like, wow, we really could have, I guess, done more here? I think it was a bit of both. If you had to lean one way or the other, it was probably, like, a little overlying positive. But, like, even Damien, like, Danny Ainge is someone who never, you know, lies much about expectations and will just say up front, you know, when a team's the contender or not, you know, over the course of the year and be pretty frank. And he, in his first answer, he was, you know, just – kind of language being like listen you know we that was a game we should have won and so it's you know you hold lebron james to 87 points in a game seven on your home floor you you feel pretty good about that in terms of your chance to win but then and i think a lot of the younger guys like the guys who had really tough nights like rosier and Jalen brown the guys that kind of shot their way out of the game you know were kind of feeling still understandably down but there was, you know, clearly reflection I think involved. I think as time grows on, they'll be more, you know, reflective of how just special that run was and what they kind of overcame on their way to it. And then, you know, the excitement was definitely there for next year, knowing that, okay, pretty much everyone that matters is going to be back. And then you're adding two all-stars to the mix. And... It sounds like they have, understandably, have a lot of confidence that, like, hey, this is, you know, this wasn't just a, a fluke for us. This is just uh, the beginning. And, I mean, we brought up the whole Danny Ainge thing, and he kind of brought up the idea of staying put this offseason, which has become kind of a rarity at this point with the Celtics. You always see them making draft pick trades or making these big signings and whatnot, but. He also had that mentality of, like, you never know what's going to come up. You never know what opportunities may arise, I think was his exact quote. And, I mean, I personally think this team, as it is, is set to make a huge run next year. I mean, like you said, Kyrie Irving coming back to the court for a postseason run would be huge, let alone adding Gordon Hayward to that whole entire mix. And no matter where LeBron is, I think the Celtics will be the team to beat in the East, but... Do you think they need to be making moves? Or are they set right now with where they're at? Like, it's going to be kind of a weird offseason if you see them just not doing anything. Right. Yeah, I mean, they they certainly... I expect them to, you know, they have their core in place. They got the Marcus Smart situation, which I think they'll be able to bring him back at a number that makes sense to them. I think Aaron Baines is a pretty important part of the rotation as well. He's a free agent, I think. You know, they should have been enough money to afford him. But there's, I mean, I guess they you really saw this year just how much depth matters. And when you had, you know, your rotation pretty much down to seven guys um, in a game seven and just, the, you know, Brad Stevens, you know, not having the trust, understandably so, to play a couple of rookies down the stretch there that could have obviously helped out in a kind of nightmare game seven scenario 
from a shooting standpoint. So they, I think they're going to be on the hunt for, you know, just guys that can help around the fringes there. Uh, but I do think the big picture, um, you know, blockbuster move that may have been on the table with a guy like, you know, Kawhi Leonard or someone in his ilk um, was available this summer. I think there's a lot less, you know, they'll, they'll obviously explore something like that, but the the need, the the sense of urgency to to be like, all right, we need we need to make that one last big upgrade. I think that has faded a bit with the the rise of players like Jalen Brown, like Jason Tatum, who seems to be a lot more ready for the moment than most ever thought they would be this early in their career. And so you look at that, and you know. You'll, you'll obviously take a guy like Leonard. You'll take him if the price is right, but you're not going to hand over the farm for him or someone else who's um, an all-star that might not necessarily put you over the top 100%. Yeah, and a big thing to me, you brought up the whole depth thing, is, I mean, Terry Rozier at this point, I think it's just going to be the weirdest story to follow over the next however long it might take. It could take a couple months for this to all pan out. It could take a year at this point, but... You bring back Kyrie Irving and Terry Rozier all of a sudden back on the bench after a pretty successful postseason run minus that Game 7 performance. But do you think Danny Ainge might get kind of stir-crazy there and just kind of like rush a move with Terry Rozier now that the stock is kind of up? Do you think he uses him for depth on the bench and then just sees what happens? Like there's a bunch of different ways that could go. I personally, I'd say keep him for a year and to see what he can do on the bench and maybe even increase his value at this point. But what, what do you think the next move is there? Yeah, that's a tough one. It's a good question on your front that they're going to have to tackle. And I do think, you know, they'll do due diligence on Rozier, you know, just in case some other team has fallen in love with him and they're going to give the Celtics a lot more than they thought they could ever get for him. And so that will be tempting for them for sure to do that. But I, with that said, I think they will rightfully demand a, a hefty package, whether it's, you know, uh, a big or a high draft pick or just a, a player on a rookie deal who has a lot of potential ahead of him. Um, Rozier clearly is a capable starting point guard in this league. He's, you know, a bargain at making $3 million next year. And the Celtics still have control over him. He's going to be a restricted free agent when he does, you know, hit the open market. So that is, you know, they have that leverage. So the the sense of urgency to move him is far less than a guy like, you know, it's far different situation than last year when Avery Bradley was traded because, you know, they had to clear out salary cap room and they figured, hey, we're not going to be able to afford him in one more year. We're just not going to be able to make that work. He's not going to be worth what he's going to cost. Um, Rozier has more upside, can, you know, fit in, you know, as good Kyrie Ir- Irving insurance after, you know, we've seen Irving deal f- this nice f- situation for a few years now. And, yeah, I mean, if you're not going to get what you want from then why not just bring it back and have that be, you know, have one of the deepest lineups in the league and and see what comes with you kind of you don't owe it to this group to see what that looks like but it's it's definitely not a bad alternative than you know trying to be too proactive and maybe you know downgrade by just trying to get more assets down the line yeah and i mean we're talking about just a stacked team here at the fact that terry rogier is going to be 
on your bench if you keep him around where he could probably be starting elsewhere. But going forward, I mean, to me, I think this is still Kyrie Irving's team as soon as he comes back and is healthy. Obviously, that's, I think, most of the Celtics' mindset. But going forward, maybe two, three years down the line, whose team do you think this is? Who's the leader between maybe a Kyrie, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, anything like that? Who's, who's sticking out to you as that guy? Ooh, that's going to be real interesting to see. I do think that Kyrie, I mean, when a, the postseason comes around and there's one shot to be had, I still think Kyrie will be that guy, that primary option. Um, but Tatum, I mean, it does not look too far behind at this point as far as developing into an option, you know, 1A in those kind of spots based on where he's at already. I mean, I think looking back on it, this team, you know, they have a lot of guys with a lot of confidence on this team. So they're, you know, and Brad Stevens doesn't have a captain. So they're, you know, they clearly are engaged to do stuff themselves. So like pretty much up and down the roster. And that kind of came back to bite them in game seven since everyone was still far too happy to take those shots, you know, down the stretch that weren't going down. Um, like when they might you're, saying, you're just throwing the ball up at that point, you're right. just shooting it and shooters shoot, but that right. mentality is going to hurt you there. <laughs> exactly. Like that, you know, like that's great to have generally, but when your season's on the line and you can't make a shot for your life, then like, maybe you, maybe you want to go to this other guy who's, you know, actually making shots and the Cavs haven't been able to stop so far. But you know, that's, I mean, at the same time, those, that mentality got some of the worth they were in the first place. So it's hard to, to fault those guys for too much, but yeah, it's it, the fact that Tatum is ready there um, or seems to be ready to grow into that role already is incredibly encouraging because that is how you win championships. You need to have players like that. You need to have multiple players like that generally, like the Warriors do. And that's something where, you know, I don't think only Jalen Brown is going to develop into that guy. I think Tatum has the better chance of developing into that, you know, one eight piece next to Irving. Yeah. And you bring up, I mean, the Warriors example is kind of interesting leading into that next question that I have, but you've seen these kind of like super lineups forming over the last couple of years. And the joke I always make, whether I'm talking to friends or anyone is that it's like a video game at this point. Like you're, it's like you're playing NBA 2k and it's just free agency and all these teams are just, disregarding like any morale stuff and they're like we're just going to take the best players and throw money at them but I mean at a certain point that sort of mentality just does not work anymore and you have to make the tough decisions of what do you do with a guy like Terry Rozier what do you do with a guy like Kyrie Irving if things aren't working out and I guess my question is how long does this all last at this point like how long do you think this works before they have to make a tough decision on where to throw their money and who to really invest in for the future. I mean, is it a couple of years? Is it, could this really work for a Warriors type, like, was it six years at this point? They've really been kind of like in the hunt there. So how long do you think this lasts? Yeah, it's going to start to get interesting in a couple summers from now. I feel like when Kyrie Irving is due for his new deal and he's been kind of a bargain based on the max contract he signed a few years ago before the cap spike, only making, I think, $21 million next year. And then, but that's in the, you know, balloon up to roughly $35 million a year. 
And so at that point, you're going to have, you know, some tough decisions where I think you're definitely going to have to choose between Rozier and Smart because you're not going to play two backup point cards, you know, over $10 million a year when you're paying your top one thirty-five, And then you have to, you know, have once some other rookie contracts start to come to an end, whether it's Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, you know, those guys are going to want to get paid too. And then it might come down to, you know, start making tough decisions between, you know, them and, you know, Hayward and Al Horford because you can't have, you know, you're not going to be able to have like four max contracts on the roster at the same time at some point. And that's the direction both of those guys are kind of pushing in. So, I mean, the age stuff could take care of it for some of them. Like Horford will be past his prime at that point and maybe more willing to take a, a, a much smaller salary in order to, you know, stay a part of the core, take the discounts that we kind of, you see some guys taking Golden State to, to stay as a part of a winner. But, you know, it's it's early to tell on that front. This seems, you know, you got to be a winner at that point in terms of, like, giving those guys a reason to stick around. I feel like you can't – it'll be tougher to sell that if they have fall short in the finals or don't even get there in the next couple of years. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see how that all shakes out and how the front office, you know, handles it if they – try to go that route or if they decide, okay, these guys, none of these guys are going to be able to give us a discount. We need them to. So we might have to move on from one of them in one form or another. All right. And I mean, we did a lot looking back here on like what they currently have, but to end things off, I think it's time to take a really early look at the future here. And I want to know, I mean, for me, just expectations. I think personally the NBA finals is like, where they should be the next year, where the Celtics need to be, given the talent they have, given what they showed this year. It all depends on where LeBron ends up. He could be back in Cleveland, and I think that run is in, like insanely possible. If he ends up in a place like Philly somehow, I don't know what happens, but what do you expect from this team when we're sitting here next, was it next May or June, hopefully, for the Celtics? What do you expect from next season? Yeah, I mean, it has to be getting to the NBA Finals or bust, right? I mean, this team should be the the favorite in the East to get there, barring I think the only thing that would like, you know, prevent that was as you mentioned, like LeBron going to Philadelphia. I think that's the one situation. But do you think the def- Celtics can still beat LeBron in Phil- Philadelphia, given what they showed against Philly with a lineup with Embiid, Ben Simmons? I mean, Fultz, kind of, <laughs> not really. But... Yeah, right, Nate, you gotta. <laughs> He's got some work to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I think that the Sixers would be the the favorite in that series over the Celtics. But I do think the Celtics, you know, they'd have a very good chance of of beating them and overcoming those odds based on you know how they handled that group this year. If Philly brings in LeBron, they're going to have to make some sacrifices to other part of their roster. They're not going to be able to, you know, bring a guy like JJ Redick back unless he's taking a huge, you know, pay cut, and so. You know that that would be a very scary team um, to deal with, but so are the Celtics. Um, when you look at what they're going to have back and what you know the young talent on the roster is kind of developed into already, so um, I think if you're the Celtics, you're, you're rooting. If you're a Celtics fan, you're rooting for that not to happen because if if LeBron finds himself in the Western Conference, then you are going to be uh, 
you know, making a regular trip to the NBA Finals, I feel like, for, you know, years to come. Because while there are some good emerging teams with Philly, you know, I feel like Milwaukee is going to be on the rise with a new coach and the young talent they have there. But there's just doesn't seem to be that juggernaut in place that can go toe-to-toe with you uh, for the rest of the decade here. Well, like I said, that's all I've got for you here. That was a good way to end it there. Good speculation for the future. But um, for all the listeners out there, of course, you can find all of our sports content on boston25news.com. You can check us out on both SoundCloud and iTunes at this point, just making all the moves here. Uh, Follow our podcast account on Twitter at ExpandOnThat25. You can follow myself at DABumpus17. Brian, if you want to give yourself a little plug here, now's your time to do it. You've earned it after sitting through 20 minutes with me here. But what do you got for me? (laughs) <laughs> no, this is a lot of fun. Um, yeah, you can, you know, you can follow me on Twitter at Brian T. Rob or check check out what we'll have in-depth coverage of the Southwick soft season all summer long at the com. So um, check us out there, sign up, and be great. Be happy to have you aboard. All right, well, I'm happy to have you aboard on the podcast here for the fifth episode. I really appreciate you taking out the time, and uh, thanks for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me. See you guys next week.